Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, June 15th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we talk with Mississippi's 3rd District Congressman Michael Guest. And the DACA program marks its 10th anniversary. What's next for Mississippi recipients? This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Today, we speak with Michael Guess, who represents Mississippi's 3rd Congressional District in the U.S. House. Representative Guest tells us that after mass shootings in New York and Texas last month, he will approach the Senate's new gun control plan with an open mind. But he says he's concerned a bill encouraging states to pass red flag laws would infringe on Second Amendment rights. I would want to see upon whom the burden of proof rests. Does the burden of proof rest upon the individual and he has to then come into court and prove that he should have the ability to possess a firearm or does the burden of proof rest upon uh, the states to come in and before the firearms are taken uh, prove to a judge that this person doesn't uh, need to possess a firearm because they suffer some some form of mental illness and so uh, to me that is very important where the burden of proof lies uh, and where that comes into play. And so, you know, I I can't address this particular issue without knowing more information specifically that is in uh, the Senate plan. And I guess they're still working that out, actually. But the boyfriend loophole, the domestic violence offenders, would you be amenable to closing that loophole somehow to prevent gun sales to people who have a tendency to domestic violence? Well, and Mississippi already has laws on the books uh, that prevent people from being convicted of domestic violence uh, from being able to uh, possess certain types of firearms. And so, you know, many of those laws already exist on a state-by-state basis. And so uh, I don't feel that those laws need to be codified federally. I believe that states like Mississippi and other states have already addressed those issues. Uh, And so uh, saying that, that there needs to be some national standard on that uh, I, I, I would not agree with. I think this is, again, a state issue. Each state should have the ability uh, to look at the circumstances, and then that, this should be addressed by state legislators, which have been in many states, including Mississippi. 
Well, should people be able to purchase AK-47s and AR-15s? And now we're hearing about ghost guns and guns that can be modified to become semi-automatic. As far as an AR-15 or an AK-47, I mean, those guns, uh, they're not fully automatic. Uh, The only way to possess a fully automatic firearm uh, in uh, the United States is uh, working and getting the proper ATF paperwork. It's an extensive uh, background check, and, and there are many steps, including interviews and things that are done uh, before that happens. So when you talk about banning certain types of guns, I mean, a, 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 and any gun can be used in the wrong hands uh, to, to cause damage. And so if you're looking at trying to say these guns are bad guns, and these guns are good guns. I, I, I don't think you can do that. I don't. I don't think you can look at categories of guns and say we're going to outlaw and ban certain types of guns or certain categories of guns, but we're going to allow other guns to be legal to possess. And so I, I do feel like that that is not the, the role of Congress, uh, and is not something that, that we should be waiting off into. Let's talk a little bit about how do you think the January 6th committee investigation is going? Now hearings are being aired live. Your thoughts? Well, you know, I did not vote to support the January 6th committee, the Nancy Pelosi Select Committee. I did vote to support a law enforcement commission, which had bipartisan support in Congress. Uh, that commission failed, and now we're stuck with the committee that we have now. Uh, I think the fact that Speaker Pelosi originally came in and this committee, I think, was really doomed from the beginning. Uh, but particularly once Speaker Pelosi came in uh, and rejected uh, the Republicans uh, that uh, Kevin McCarthy chose to appoint uh, on that committee, uh, and now we see that this committee really uh, is made up of those I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Uh, Republicans that serve on that committee, the two that were appointed not by the Republican leadership, but by Nancy Pelosi, are the anti-Trump wing of the Republican Party. And so I think that this committee has lost all sense of fairness. Uh, I think that by the speaker rejecting uh, the uh, appointments of Kevin McCarthy's selection, uh, that this quickly turned into uh, what was going to be more of a at least equally weighted on Republican to Democrats to a completely controlled Democrat committee. Uh, And so I've not watched any of the hearings, uh, but I do not support this current committee. I do not think that this committee's goal is to get to the truth of what happened uh, on January the 6th. And I believe that it has much more of a political leaning than a true fact-finding committee like the commission uh, that was originally sought to be established. How are you feeling about the Mississippi 15-week ban before the Supreme Court right now? We could have a decision coming up soon. You know, uh, very optimistic. Of course, we saw uh, the uh, the leaked opinion that came out several weeks ago. We know that that was just a draft, uh, that the uh, justices could change that opinion. Uh, But based upon uh, the arguments that were made by the attorney general's office, And looking at the facts of the Mississippi case uh, and looking at the law, you know, I believe that our Supreme Court has the ability to overturn Roe v. Wade. Whether they overturn Roe v. Wade completely, sending it to the states and letting each state legislature decide the protections that should be put on life, or whether they just uphold Mississippi's law saying that there are no abortions after 15 weeks, 
Uh, I feel very, very, very good and very confident about that as someone who is pro-life, someone who has been endorsed by uh, the National Right to Life by Susan B. Anthony. It's, you know, I had the opportunity there to speak on the steps of the Supreme Court as Dobbs v. Jackson was being argued. Uh, I had the chance to lead the amicus brief on members of Congress setting forth both the facts and the law as to why Roe should be overturned. Uh, you know, at this point, you know, I, I, I feel very confident uh, that that is going to, to happen. Uh, and I think that the right thing and the right decision that should be made is returning this to the individual states. The protection of life uh, should be something that, one, everyone should be concerned about. And this is a state issue. This is not a federal issue. Uh, there is nothing within the Constitution that gives Congress this authority that, that the Supreme Court created 50 years ago when the court really established this Roe v. Wade standard. Uh, and so now to see that the court is taking a, a real second look at that uh, and that we have the opportunity, hopefully, to be able to overturn Roe v. Wade uh, as a conservative who believes in pro-life, I'm extremely excited about that. Let's talk about the congressional district campaign for District 3. You are in your second term, running for a third term. You are in a runoff against Michael Cassidy, which takes place June 28th. And you recently came out with a negative ad uh, where you question his time in the state and his uh, background as a pilot. Tell us about that. Well, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's a negative ad. You know, we're just trying to let people know and trying to contrast who we are versus who our opponent is. Uh, you know, uh, we want people to know that, that we are lifelong Mississippians, that this is where I grew up, uh, that I went to high school at uh, Brandon High School, that I graduated there, went to Mississippi State University, uh, went to the University of Mississippi, uh, that for 25 years uh, I was a prosecutor in the metro area, uh, taking uh, cases in uh, M Madison and Rankin County. Uh, and then, you know, that I I've since that time been able to serve our state in Mississippi. Uh, but, you know, we want to let everybody know that, that this individual has just recently moved to Mississippi. He just registered to vote uh, in Mississippi last year, has only voted in one other election beside this. And then, you know, he talks about the fact that he's a fighter pilot and has worked for the United States Navy. Uh, but he fails to mention that he's under investigation by the Department of Defense for misuse of government assets. And so, you know, we just want to make sure that people know the difference between who I am and what I stand for and who he is, that we need somebody in our state um, who knows Mississippi, knows our interests, has been working and fighting for Mississippi for their entire life, not someone who has just moved to Mississippi and decided to run for Congress. And so, uh, we think that that's important. We think it's important that the people of Mississippi know about his $48 trillion spending plan, uh, he, something that he had on his website uh, when he was called out by the media on that about how are we going to pay for this, that this is not something that traditionally Republicans would support. Uh, he immediately removed that, scrubbed it from his website, uh, and acted like it didn't happen. And so, you know, during the this primary, uh, the whole campaign has been an attack on my by my opponent on my record where he's attempted to redefine who I am and what I stand for. Uh, and so we think it's only fair that as we go into this runoff that we make sure that the voters understand and there's a clear contrast between who we are and what we stand for and who our opponent is 
and the things that, that he would like to do if he's elected to serve in Congress. Are you surprised that it's come to a runoff? He hammered your vote for the January 6th committee, as you explained the difference in the committees in your perception, but he hammered you on that. You know, I, I think he's done a good job of uh, misleading and confusing the voters. Many people, based upon what he's put out, believe that I voted for this Nancy Pelosi uh, select committee, uh, which I did not. Uh, they don't understand because he's failed to really try to give any explanation that there's a huge difference between a law enforcement commission that I voted for and the January 6th committee that's currently in place. And then my opponent, you know, tried to mislead uh, the people of Mississippi about my pro-life views, uh, telling people that I voted to give billions of dollars to Planned Parenthood. And so, you know, his entire campaign has not been him talking about the things that he wants to do, uh, but instead has just been misleading attacks on myself, my family, and my record. And so, you know, at this juncture, we think it's important uh, that we get the truth out to the voters of the 3rd Congressional District about who our opponent is and, again, attempt to contrast what we stand for and what we want to do in Congress versus the proposals that he would like which includes trillions of dollars in new spending. Did the runoff take you by surprise? Uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I will tell you that, that we knew Mr. Cassidy was running a strong, uh, a strong race. Uh, we believed that uh, we would be able to, you know, take the high road throughout the campaign. But the, the negative attack ads that he uh, 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 was able to put out, uh, I think, did have an impact. And the other thing that had a huge impact was low voter turnout. If you look at the voter turnout across the state incredibly low. Uh, my home county of Rankin County, just over 10%. Uh, Octibaha County, uh, just over 6%. And so when you're having 94% of the registered voters not going to the polls, you know, it just takes a few people to be able to get out in those races uh, and be able to, to impact the race. And that's what happened in this, in this case. Uh, my opponent was able to get his people out, energize his people to go vote, uh, many people uh, that supported us, uh, for whatever reason, did not turn out uh, on the 7th. And I think that that is what has forced this runoff. I will tell you that since the 7th, we've had an outpouring of people uh, come to our aid, to our defense. Many saying, hey, we're sorry that we didn't do more. Many saying, hey, we're sorry we didn't vote. We thought that this was not going to be close. And uh, we just didn't take the time to go out and vote. And so I think this is a great civics lesson that, look, every vote matters, uh, that people should vote every election, and we should never take it for granted uh, who our elected leaders are going to be. Michael Guess represents Mississippi's 3rd District in the U.S. House. Coming up, the DACA program marks its 10th anniversary. What's next for Mississippi recipients? This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks.
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA, program began 10 years ago today. Recipients and their advocates say the decades since has been both transformational and frustrating. Patricia Ice is Legal Project Director at Mississippi Immigrant Rights Alliance. She speaks with Mississippi Edition producer Rob Lane. The program was set up for children who came to the United States before the age of 16. And on June 15, 2012, were out of status and came through no fault of their own and could show that they entered the United States on or before June 15, 2007. And they also had to be below 31 years of age. And they are able to get a work authorization. Uh, Right now, USCIS, United States Citizenship and Immigration Services, they are not processing new DACA applications, but they are processing renewal applications. But if you're filing something new, they will accept the application, but they will not process it because there is a court uh, order saying that they will not process it. But if you um, are a person who came before June uh, 5th, excuse me, before June 15th, 2007, and you were below 16 years of age, and you're a person of good moral character, you can file for DACA. At least you could file for it and be accepted into the program. And you would get a work authorization. Well, as you described this, I just can't help thinking that it sounds like there's so much uncertainty there for recipients. Is that something you can speak to, just the fact that this has now been around for quite a while, but it's already been impacted, as you described, by this one court order, and it could go away really at any moment? It could. There is a lot of uncertainty. However, I feel that it is not going to go away, and I guess that's because it's lasted for 10 years, and there is bipartisan support for the program. Although, um, it seems that right now we cannot get a vote from Congress to change it so that it can become a permanent program, but we're hoping that it can become a permanent program and that the date can be changed so that other people who came in after June 15, 2007 can also take advantage of the program. But I believe that uh, the program is going to continue, and I guess I believe that because I've been doing immigration law now for 21 years, and it, uh, while I see things change and 
some things stay the same. I think that there is really a lot of support for young people. They are working in all types of jobs. You know, we have DACA recipients who are physicians, who are lawyers, who are teachers, who are nurses, and others who have professional jobs, and some not so professional, but they have formed families, they've gotten married, they've had children who are U.S. citizens, they have spouses, sometimes who are permanent residents and U.S. citizens. So I don't think that Congress wants to deport or, as we call it, remove these people, because they've really contributed a lot to the United States. Well, and as I understand it, the the folks you're describing having worked with are, are largely, for the most part, Mississippians. Mississippi, of course, not a state that necessarily comes to mind when we think about immigration and think about DACA, but of course there are a significant number of DACA recipients in Mississippi. I'm curious if you can pinpoint roughly about what that number is, and if you could maybe delve a little deeper into what some of those really Mississippi-specific DACA stories have looked like? I think that there are probably a thousand. And as I said, some people that I know, they have they were, they were not high school graduates at the time that we applied for them in 2012 and later. But now some of them are college graduates and they are working and as I said, many of them are married and having children, and they really contribute a lot to the society in a positive way. I see very few of them not contribute in a positive way. So um, that's why I think that the program has support from both sides of the congressional aisle. And that's why I think that the Congress people in Mississippi are not so willing to get rid of the program. Patricia Ice is Legal Project Director with Mississippi Immigrant Rights Alliance. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio. Coming up at 9, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. Join us tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio.